the month of June, we're talking about building better relationships. And this morning, I want to talk to you about one of the most important, if not the most important practices, really in uh, uh, people of all faiths of ancient times recognize the importance of this. Human beings all recognize the importance of this. And of course, obviously, it's essential to being Christian. It's an ancient practice. It's a biblical practice. It's a powerful practice. It's something that if you neglect it, you can't help but bring destruction to your life, to your relationships. It's a practice that if you practice it, and if you practice it faithfully, you can't help but bring health and healing and good. This is something you want to know about, isn't it? That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the practice of confession and humility and clearing your conscience and seeking forgiveness for wrong and how important that is to a relationship with God and relationship with people. Super important. So I want to kind of have a family talk today, and I've been praying about this because you need it. It'll help you. I need it. We need it. It'll help you. This whole series, all the helpful pieces of it, we talk about the importance of loving in building relationships. We're talking about the importance last week of honor in, in building relationships. But today we're talking about the importance of, of keeping a clear conscience with God and man, of humbling yourself and admitting when you did wrong. And that's at the heart of everything. Now we did a, we did a thing called the Journey to the Heart years ago with, with young people. It's still going on, and every once in a while I get invited back to it, but um, it's, a, it's a ministry to college-age young people or to young adults, and they will go away together, maybe all the fellows together, 12 guys or 12 girls will go away together, and they seek the Lord together for 10 days, and the heart of it is this, and this is how we came up with this. Years ago, the Life Action Ministries uh, came to our church when I was a boy, and they had this, and I've told you this story before, they had this instrument that they used called a complete spiritual. It was brutal. It was kind of like a way of a, mean, a tool of self-examination where you would go through your own life and just identify your own sins. Doesn't it just sound like good, clean fun? Um, and as a boy, I remember taking that home and going through that and just really, like, checking all the boxes and recognizing in, in, a, in a time of honest self-evaluation that I had hurt a lot of people. I had sinned in many ways. I had sinful attitudes, sinful behaviors, sinful words, lots of sinful words, just like you probably do. Once you think about that today, it'll help you. I remember, and I, I think I told you this, I remember kneeling by my bed and going through that and just thinking, wow, I just have a lot of work to do. I wish I had help. And I, of course, I did have Christian parents and people in my life. But so when I got a little bit older and I was helping these uh, 20-somethings and uh, late teens and 20-somethings go through a, a time of spiritual evaluation, we came up with this idea called a journey to the heart we went way up in the UP, and we had this place where we could go alone in a cabin, and, and we had, and here's how the heart of it worked. Uh, we would give them a teaching. We had it written out in a book. We'd give them this biblical teaching, which was essentially a chunk of that spiritual evaluation. It's like to, for them to go through their lives and to identify their own, you know, sins against their parents or against their siblings or before God. And, to, and, to, and really through the day, it was candidly just self-examination, and we did that teaching. And then we would send them away 
uh, after an, about an hour of that teaching, we would send them away into, they'd go in the woods or they'd go to their room if it's raining or out by the lake or sit by a rock and they would go over that material between them and the Lord. And then after they went over that material uh, in self-examination, instead of just leaving them alone, you know, to wallow in their guilt, we brought them back into a circle of chairs. And we, we put a circle of chairs, and in the circle of chairs, we'd have an open and candid conversation. And we'd had established, you know, some safety there so they could talk to one another without fear of people gossiping about them or hurting them with what they heard. And in that circle, then, there would be a time of, you know, confession uh, to others, and there would be a time of confession to God and in candid, open conversations. Very, very powerful. But then, and I thought about this this week, then we did something that I'd like you to imagine doing. And that we took those chairs that were in a circle and then we turned them around. Everybody turned around his chair. And then we knelt down by our chair. And then we talked to the Lord. And kneeling by our chair, we would openly and honestly confess our sins to God. And it was a very powerful experience. As we go through the 10-day experience there, and every day going through kind of a condition of the heart, and then being open and honest to God, and then being open and honest with one another to whatever degree that was appropriate, and then to get down on our knees together and to say to God, God, I'm sorry. I'm grieved. I, I candidly confess my sin. This is an ancient Christian, ancient Christian practice. This is a practice of God's people. God created his world this way that we would confess our sin before God and before others. And that was the heart of that. And I guess I'd li- what I'd like to imagine as you know, Bethel Church is in the next week or two that we would turn our chairs around and that we would get down on our knees. And maybe, like for me, getting down on my knees is seriously hard to do. Getting up is almost impossible after that. But, but maybe you just, in your heart, you're down on your knees before God, and you're open and you're honest before God about things that don't please Him. These would be words that you've said, things that you've done, things that you haven't done. No one ever prospers with God or in their relationships with others who doesn't regularly confess their sin. This is essential to what it means to practice the way of Jesus. This is the Jesus way. It's it's one thing to say, I'm a follower of Jesus. It's another thing to take up your cross and to follow him. And and during this time, this next week or two, as we talk about these things, I would hope that that maybe you would do this each of you would, on your own, in your own way and in your own place, set aside a time for really honest, candid, you don't need to be afraid of this, candid personal evaluation. You don't need to be afraid of this. This is what the people of God have done back through the centuries, and it always, it brings weeping first and then joy later, sorrow first and then great joy later. It's always the way it is. It's the way of God. It's the way of the Bible. And I'm going to show you this carefully before we, before we apply it to our personal relationships. It should be applied to our relationship with God first. And I, I want to show you this, how this is in some of the places in the Bible. This is throughout the Bible, but I want to show you things. And frankly, this is just one that came to my mind because of the beauty of the picture. In 1 Kings and chapter 6, 
we have a narrative there. There's a story, and the story is of the, the, the um, dedication of the temple. And Solomon goes before the people, and the Bible says that Solomon gets down on his knees before the people as they dedicate the temple, and he lifts his hands up to God. And he prays, and he specifically prays a prayer that's kind of like this. God, if we ever sin against you, and then he says, and, and there is no one who will not sin against you. Then even if we get carried off into captivity because of our sin, then when we look toward this place and we confess our sin, then God, and we're under, you know, uh, we're, we're under bondage and we're taken off into captivity because of our sin as chastisement. Then when we look toward this place and when we confess our sin, then God, forgive us and restore us. Now, that's what I'm going to read. Listen from 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 46. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and you give them to an enemy so that they're carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off or near. This is 1 Kings uh, chapter 6 and verse 47. Yet if they turn their heart to the land to which they have been carried captive and repent turn their heart in the land to which they have been uh, carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors saying we have sinned and we have acted perversely and wickedly if they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name then here in heaven your dwelling place their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion look at verse 42 52 let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel and give ear to them when they call on you in, in verse 54 he, he arose from before the altar it says that Solomon finished this offering of this prayer and he arose from before the altar where he had knelt with his hands outstretched toward heaven and he stood and blessed all the assembly of Israel with a loud voice saying blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel according to all he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise which he spoke to his servant Moses. This is something that we have to understand about the ways of God is that he knows we will sin and he says when we sin, we need to confess our sin. Those are going to help you because it will help you in your relationship with God and your sense of fellowship with God if you're a believer will help you in human relationships, but it's not something that we can bypass. It's basic. It's essential to the Christian life. It's essential to following Jesus. It's essential to the Christian experience, and it's beautiful. It's powerful. God has always had a way that his people could confess their sin. In the garden, it was that way. And so in the tabernacle, it was that way. And so in the temple, it was that way. And, and, and it needs to be that way in the Christian church, which is the current temple of the living God. When they, where the saints assemble, there should be a time for penitence, a time for repentance, a time for honest admission of sin. You know, not somebody else's sin that you're confessing, but your own. The words that you said are the ones you shouldn't have said. I was in a meeting once, and a man said something he shouldn't have said. And it was wrong. What he said was just wrong. And it was egregious. It was not good. 
And he was a leader, and he was a very, kind of a powerful leader, and, and I was quiet. I didn't say anything. This is a rare moment, right? I, I didn't say anything. Later on, a friend of mine, a close friend of mine, he, he turned cold toward me. And I asked him one day, what, this, see, I feel like there's something between us. He goes, well, there really is. You were in that group when that man said what he did about my wife. And you didn't say anything about it. You're really not my friend. It damaged our relationship because I sinned in not speaking up when I should have spoken up. It would be good for us to go over our words and our silences and our actions and ask the Lord to help us. He'll help us to evaluate all of those and confess those that are sin. This is just simple, basic Christian teaching. So sometimes we meet for praise and worship, and sometimes we meet for teaching. Sometimes we meet for fellowship. But in the Bible, they, they would meet sometimes for solemn assembly. They would meet for confession. The Keswick movement wasn't perfect, by, by all means. But the, the British Keswick movement, there was a movement, it was kind of like a Bible conference in England years ago. And they had a formula that they followed. And the formula that they followed on the first day was just preaching on sin and confession of sin. And every time they met, every week that they met in the Keswick Convention back in those days, that's what they would do. And like I said, everything about it wasn't perfect and doctrinally sound altogether. And yet that piece was one of the things that probably made it a powerful movement because whenever God's people are honest about their sin, then, then it's going to be hard. There's going to be mourning first before there's rejoicing, but it's going to be good. This is the way of God. This is the way he works. And you see this over and over again. The greatest men and the greatest women of the Bible, though they may have sinned less frequently than others, would often confess their sin and the sin around them. In other words, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, you are a, and then unless you never sin, then you confess sin because that's what followers of Jesus do. That's what godly people do. They regularly are honest with God and others about their sin. Nobody ever was a godly person and neglected that practice. Daniel's this godly, godly young man. You, you can't really find a record about him that's bad. And in, the, and, and in, in the Daniel chapter 9, he prays one of the most beautiful prayers of the Bible, Daniel 9, 3. I turn my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God. I made confession, saying, O Lord, great, awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled and turned aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and princes and fathers and the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and Israel. To us, O Lord, belongs open shame to our kings and princes and our fathers because we've sinned against you. He says in verse 15, we've sinned and done wickedly. He says in verse 17 in his prayer, now therefore, O God, listen to the prayer of your servant to his pleas for mercy for your sake, O Lord, and make your face shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear to and hear and open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that's called by your name 
For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake, O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. If you're a good Christian, you're probably upset, rightfully so, about some of the things that you see in the culture that are bad. And maybe you, you know, like I am, you want to complain about it or put a little Facebook post about it or, or just kind of... But when was the last time you behaved like Daniel? He said, he owned that himself. He just went before God and said, we are sinful people and we have sinned against you. When was the last time that you had a, a season of genuine confession of sin before God? You confessed the sin of your nation and the sin of your region and the sin of your family and your own personal sin. When was the last time you did that? Because godly men and women in the Bible, they did that. They did that regularly. This was an ancient practice. This was a biblical practice. This was a powerful practice. This was a godly practice. And it's a practice that, that God still not only expects of it, but he still blesses. Nehemiah is a beautiful example of this. In Nehemiah, you have, uh, of course, obviously a project that, that God had led uh, Nehemiah to do, a building uh, of the wall. And he starts this way. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I fasted and I prayed before God. And I said, Lord God of heaven, the great awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive, your eyes open. Hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, we, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments and statutes and rules. So you have examples here. Solomon, example of Daniel, example of Nehemiah. Isaiah goes before God. He sees God high and lifted up and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. He didn't just, these prophets of God, these men of God and women of God, they didn't just complain about the culture around them. They took personal responsibility and confessed sin. Confession of sin was a regular practice. So we ought to ask, if we want the full experience that God has for us, and the relationships, and the strengthening of relationships that results from that, is confession, does it have the same place in our life as it had for them? That's a good question. The Bible teaches the blessing of the Lord is on the repentant sinner. Blessed is the one, David said this in, in, in the penitent Psalm 32, blessed is the one blessed by God is the one, blessed by God is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. In, later in Psalm 32, in verse 10, he said, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love of the Lord surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. In other words, the person who confesses his sin has the blessing of the Lord. I one time bought books I didn't have money for. It was a uh, about 30 years old, I went to the Christian bookstore. They used to have them back in the day. And I was looking through the Christian bookstore and I saw a set, it was like a curriculum. It was like a set of books. I thought this, I, I probably got, well, it's like this, I need this. I need this for our church. But I couldn't afford it. I thought, well, that's okay because what we'll do is we'll buy it on t credit and, and charge it to the church because I know that the deacons will approve of this when I go and I present it to them. So I, I bought it. 
and I went back to the next deacons meeting and the deacons really almost unanimously rejected the idea. And it's like, yeah, that's probably not a good, like they weren't mad or wasn't bad, but there's like, no, nah, I don't think that's the way to go. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble because I bought this expensive curriculum that I couldn't personally afford and I put it on the church's account. So I went back to the bookstore and the guy who ran the bookstore was named Jeff. He was a great guy. And, and I said to him, I, I made a mistake. I bought some stuff. I presumed upon the deacons that they would approve this purchase before, I, and I bought it, and I said, I could return it to you, but it's kind of used, and you would have to take a loss. I said, if, if I can do that, I said, if you, I mean, I don't have the money for it myself right now. And, and Jeff says to me, well, Ken, if you like to keep it, would you like to keep it? You can, just keep it. He says, every once in a while, if you get a little money, just drop in, and you can pay so I said, well, you mind if I do it that way? He said, no. And so I said, all right. So if I had a funeral, I got an honorarium, I'd go by the bookstore, and I'd I give Jeff some $50. And then we would talk about books, and it was kind of humorous because Jeff was a great guy who loved the Lord and he loved the Bible, but he didn't read Christian books. He just sold them. So I would say, hey, have you read this book? And he'd say, no, I don't really read them. I, but he said, but he would say, I read the Bible. I mean, how do you argue with a guy who says, I read the Bible? It's like, you uh, but I always thought that was kind of humorous. He goes, you know, I, I don't really read them. I just read the Bible. I'm like, oh. So I, and he would always catch me. I was like, oh, this is a great book. If you read, oh, yeah, that's right. Never mind. You don't read books. But one day when I went in there and I was making those payments, he says to me, you love books, don't you? I go, I really do. And he goes, and you read them and you know a lot about books. He goes, you know, they're looking for people. The bookstore journal is looking for people to review books. You should do that. He got me connected and they hired me to review books. I have much money, obviously, at the time, but I could review two books a month for $60 each. I could make $120 a month by getting free books and reviewing them in writing for publication. And so I believe, and I will always believe, that my desire to keep a clear conscience with that bookstore owner, actually, God blessed it. And he saw my heart and my grief that I had done something that wasn't at least wrong or not wise. And he gave me that opportunity. After I wrote some reviews, they called me from the, the gold medallion, the Evangelical Booksellers Gold Medallion Award, and they said, would you be willing to be our ministry uh, judge for the ministry books? And then they would send me boxes every year. They would send me the best ministry books of the year. In Remember this list? Boxes would come to our house of books. And, I, and just free books, and I would review which one I thought was the, you know, the best. I would rank those books and send them back. At the time, I was working on a degree and I needed a senior project, and my advisor says, well, you write all those reviews, why don't we take those reviews as your senior project? And so that counted toward my bachelor's degree that I needed to get called to a church where God was gonna lead me after that. Now here's what I really believe. We, we sin and we act foolishly, and we do things we shouldn't do, and we presume upon the Lord. And as soon as we figure out we do that, we should go back and by the, the best way we can, confess it to God, confess it to others and make it right and god is waiting to pour out his blessing on us when we do that he's eager to pour. it's not a bad thing it's a good thing god pours out blessing i've seen it in my own life god pours out blessing on people who walk in his ways who confess their sin who acknowledge their sin who make restitution these are the ways of god these are the practices of christians that he blesses proverbs says it this way whoever conceals his transgressions won't prosper but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy from God. 
If you, have, you want mercy from God, you confess your sin. If you're wrestling with an addiction, and most of you are right now, you're wrestling with some bondage or addiction, if you're wrestling with a, a sin that you've done more often than you wish you'd done, and you repeat the same sin, anybody like that? Don't raise your hand, just kind of look guilty right now. Yeah, then what you want to do is, remember this little simple thing, and that is, as soon as the darkness of that sin crosses the threshold of your soul, confess it to God. Just say it the way it is. Just say to God, God, I confess that was sin. God, I confess that the way I spoke to my husband was not kind. I confess the way I treated my wife was wrong. I confess that the way I handled that business transaction wasn't right. Immediately confess it. This, sometimes we look all around for kind of like miraculous cures for things when the word is given as something very simple that if we practice this Christian practice, this godly practice, it has more power in our life than we realize it does. God is looking around to bless people not people who've never sinned, but people who honestly confess their sin. And I have some personal experience with this. And no, I'm not going to tell you anymore. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs 28, 13, if you cover your sin, you will not prosper. Which is implied, uncovering your sin is a way of prospering. You want to be successful? Don't hide your sin. I don't think you should indiscriminately confess your sin to everybody. I'm not saying that should be wise about your confession. But certainly, confess your sin to God and to the one you sinned against. This is a much more powerful thing than any of us really probably realize that scriptures repeat it over and over again. And it's a, it's a practice that is essential to Christian flourishing. It's essential to Christian marriage. It's essential to Christian parenting or any kind of parenting. If we're not, if we're not doing this, we're not following the way of Jesus. You remember the Bethel wheel? That's a diagram that we have, the wheel that's up on the wall from time to time. It's really, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it more and more, but it's a way of describing the process of discipleship as the elders have envisioned it for, for Bethel. In other words, it's, a, it's just a, it's a diagram that shows how the elders pray, we can help you follow Jesus and be disciples. And the wheel kind of has spokes in it. In other words, in, 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 there are little incremental steps in the wheel that as we do these things, as we practice these Christian practices that Jesus commanded and the Spirit empowers us to do, the wheel of discipleship moves and we've grown more and more like the Lord. Now listen, this is so, this is so powerful. If we had our, we have good teachers here and we have preachers and teachers and if we pulled out our best teaching and our best preaching and we taught you things and inspired you about things, that wouldn't be enough. These are things that you must believe and practice. Jesus didn't say, just memorize my commands. He said, keep my commands, practice my commands. This is one of the commands he, he wants us to practice. This is a spoke in the Bethel wheel. In other words, I, here, my goal in my heart would be that every single one of you that had a willing heart would be able to draw this on a napkin with a friend over lunch and be able to give them the Bible verses for it and be able to explain it from illustrations from your very own life. This is the goal that I would have for our church, that this that I'm talking about right now, which sweeps, it's not the first time it's ever been taught, I understand that, but it would just in a refreshing and a renewed way, would so sweep through our church that the Bethel people are people who, when they do something wrong, they make it right. That's what Bethel people do because they're Jesus followers. It's not that they never do anything wrong, it's that when they do something wrong, they're tender to the voice of the Spirit, and they go and they make it right with God, and they go and they make it right with others. And you know that would be a very powerful thing. 
Not everybody who doesn't know Jesus hates Jesus. A lot of them are just waiting for people to show them what Jesus is like. Jesus was humble, though he never sinned. He encouraged that humility and that openness. David was this way. And, you know, David wasn't a man who never sinned, but David was a man after God's own heart who, was, who, who had a tender conscience before God. And, and the Bible says in another one of David's penitent psalms, in Psalm 51, for you don't delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord. You will not despise. This David knew about God. David knew about God, that God honors those whose hearts are tender and broken about their own sinful silences or, or their own words that were not faithful or their sexual sins or their indulgences that were sinful or whatever it was, the things in your past that you've done against people that you haven't ever made right. And maybe even people that you love in your own family. There's a way to be free from the bondage of sin. There's a way to be free from the addiction of sin. There's a way to be free from the slavery of sin. The Bible teaches that over and over again. And this is the beginning. It's to honestly confess it. I, I don't have a lot of experience, but I know that people that go through the Alcoholics Anonymous, the, the, the Alcoholics Anonymous uh, matrix has helped people. One of the parts of it is, you're, you, and some of you could maybe say this better than I can, but there's a, there's, a, there's a self-evaluation, and then there's an open and honest and candid c confession after that self-evaluation. That comes right straight out of the Bible. This is a true thing that God says is true. And, if, and the Bible says this, the man or the woman that trembles at his word, that, that has a tender conscience about their sin, God looks to them. The idea there is that God puts his favor. Listen to me. Would you like, do you need the favor of God on your marriage? Do you need the favor of God on your family? Are there people in your family that are far from God that you would love to have the power of God to influence them for God? Would you like to have the favor of God poured out on you so that you would have spiritual influence on others? The answer should be, oh, yes and yes, more than anything else, that's what I want. That the power of God, okay, he says, this is the one he looks to, the one who trembles at his word. And this is in Isaiah, in chapter 66 and verse 2. All these things my hand has made, so all these things come to me, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at my word. Are you tracking with this? So, so like, as a dad, as a, as a, as a wife, as a kid, you know, grew up in a family, as a member of the church, if you're humble and contrite, quick to confess your sin, careful to watch over your words and your actions and your attitudes, and you, tr and you take God's word seriously this way, God says he, those are the ones he goes out looking for. He goes out looking to bless those people. This is a category I would want to be in. Now, obviously, this is something that Jesus said. I want you to notice here, a scripture in Matthew, in chapter 5, Jesus said this himself. He says, you know, um, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and this is in the Sermon on the Mount, as you recall, and you remember your brother has something against you, if you remember that your husband has something against you, if you remember that your sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. Don't, don't come and give me your gift yet. Jesus says, here's what I want first. I want you to be reconciled. 
This is where this moves from our relationship with God to our relationships with building. We're, we're talking here about building strong relationships. This is essential to build. Even unbelievers get this usually. Essential to building strong relationships is that we prioritize reconciliation with people. You just cannot be Christian and, and not care about reconciliation. This has got to be on your heart. To be a Jesus person, you've got to care about the, you say, to, as much as lies within me, you live at peace with all men. You can't say, look, I'm just writing them off, don't care. You sin against someone, but you haven't made it right. Somebody, is there somebody in your life that can say, they hurt me and they never made it right. They talked about me and they didn't make it right. They took something from me and they never gave it back. They defrauded me and they never admitted it. They sinned against me, but they never confessed it. Are there people that are waiting for you and they think, oh, I'll be waiting the rest of my life. They're never gonna come and admit what they did was wrong. And they're waiting for you. And, they're one, and, they're, and you come to their mind every once in a while. And wouldn't it be an honor to the Lord if you would go to them someday and say, you know, I know it's been a long time, but God told me that I hurt you back when I said this or did that. And I want to tell you it was wrong. I want to admit it. You, you know, it might be you go to your mom. I, this, this is going to sound silly, and it's easy for me to confess kind of forgivable sins and not tell you the bigger ones that I could tell you. But I, I went to my mother not too long ago, and I said to my mom, this is a little one just to give you an example, but, but it was important. My, I, was, I, I was really neat growing up. I kept my things neat. I kept my room neat. I kept my books neat. But I had a habit of getting up for school just at the last minute and maybe just leaving my bed unmade and taking off for school. And my mother was so sweet. She would come up with all these creative ways to get me to make the bed. One time she left a little bill. She made it, and then she left a little love note, like, I love you, that's why I made your bed, even though you should have made it day, kind of like that. Or the next time I did it, she wrote me, she, one time, I remember she left me a maid bill. She said maid services, and she charged me. I never paid her for that. Um, sometimes she would just, like, say it to me. Hey, Kenny, if you don't mind, please, you know, make your bed before you, but now that I, I look back and I remember, I, this is why I try to get up before Lois does, because I can't make the bed with her in it. I just get out of there um but uh but uh, we but back back home uh, not too long ago i said to my mom hey mom i'm sorry that you had to come up with so many creative ways to get me to make my bed i should have honored you by making my bed and again i'm telling you a little illustration that's easy for me to tell because that's kind of a forgivable sin i suppose but 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 but, but, but have you sinned against your mother in a way greater than that and did you ever make that right and what would happen if you did what would happen if she's still remembering your hurt against her? And she's trying to push it back, but she remembers it. What would happen if you would go to her and you'd say, you know, I was just in church the other day and I was just thinking about you. I was thinking about something I said to you and it wasn't right. And I wonder, it was really wrong, it was sin, will you forgive me? Oh, that, you know, this is, this is one of the most powerful ways to build and maintain strong relationship with others and it's just so basic and simple and so biblical and so christian and satan pushes back so hard against this our flesh pushes back so hard against this but it's the teaching of jesus jesus tells a story right he tells one of the sweetest stories a little cluster of three stories and at the end is the big story of the prodigal son who doesn't love this story and Jesus puts words in the mouth of the prodigal, and they're just beautiful words, you know. Here, here's what he says. He says, um, in that story, he says, I will arise and I will go to my father. This is in Luke 15, 18. I will arise and I will go to my father. I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. 
Now, who in the world doesn't just love that story? Is there anybody that has a heart beating in their chest that doesn't just love the story of that young prodigal son coming over the horizon and the father running to meet him and then him telling his rehearsed speech, I've sinned against God and I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. Oh, you're back in the family. Why is it that that story is so hard for us to personally relive God would empower that and bless that. And God is waiting on the other side of that confession with a party and singing and dancing and rejoicing. And this is a picture you want to have in your heart about your relationships in your family. How do you like your relationship with your family? Your marriage, your parenting, your situation with your brother, your sister. How would you like to bring that to the point of, of, of rejoicing and blessing and the favor of God? This is, on your part, this is the way that God says you confess your sin. You have a clear conscience. The scriptures speak about this, interestingly, here in Acts 24, 16. Paul says this, I exercise myself all the time to make sure that I have a clear conscience. And notice what he says, before God and man. Like, like I, there's nothing between me and God. There's nothing between me and any other man. Nobody can come and can accuse me. Lois and I, um, when we were young, we teamed up together to rebuke a couple. <laughs> it was not good, was it? And they, were, they needed rebuking, but, but probably not from us, because we were young and they were older. And, and I, this guy was doing something really wrong, and I just, I just put my finger under his nose, and I said, you are going to answer to God for what you're doing right now. And I looked over on the other side of the parking lot, and Lois was having a similar conversation with his wife. We were very young and untried in ministry at the time. So then we went home, and after thereafter, and they had sinned greatly against us, but thereafter, I would always have that man's face in my prayers. And this passage of Scripture that would come along with his face, Rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. We had a white wingback chair, Queen Anne wingback chair, that I would kneel in my living room, a corner living room, and I'd pray. Every morning I'd go kneel down in that white wingback Queen Anne chair, and that guy's face was right there. Every morning I had to look at his face. Every morning I heard that verse, rebuke not an elder, but entreat him as a father. One day, I, so I go into Lois, and I say to Lois, I think I need to go see that guy. And I need to ask his forgiveness for rebuking him because even though he needed rebuking, I shouldn't have done it because I was younger. And then she says, well, if you're going to ask his forgiveness, I'm going to go along and ask her forgiveness. So we got in the car that day and we just drove out there to their house, knocked on the door. They were like a little surprised and, well, come on in. And I said, you know, I was trying to pray the other day and the Lord showed me that I sinned against you. And I rebuked you, and that wasn't right. And the Bible says you shouldn't rebuke an older person, but you should treat him like a dad. And I didn't do that with you. Will you forgive me? And Lois was saying the same thing over there to his wife. And we drove away, and I don't have to see his face in my prayers anymore. And I'm not mad at him, I'm not hurt with him. I'm not. But it is nice not to have somebody's face intruding your prayers. You have a clear conscience before God and man. Paul said, if you don't do this, you could go, you could shipwreck your life. This is in 1 Timothy 1.19, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. 
shipwreck of their faith. I know a young man who grievously sinned against his wife. Grievously sinned against his wife. And he thought, well, I need to apologize. So they went to a counselor, and then after he went to the counselor, he said to his wife, I'm sorry that I haven't taken the leadership I should have taken. Now, this is a, this is a man who had been abusive, who had been profane, who had been deceitful, who had been immoral. And his confession was, please forgive me for not taking the leadership I should have taken. Which is kind of like saying, I guess I wasn't controlling enough. I should have been spiritually controlling. That wasn't, in other words, that wasn't an adequate confession. He didn't come anywhere close to confessing and, we, and what happened to his life? Can you guess? One way you could describe it is shipwreck. Shipwreck. There are things that are broken that will never be put to, together in his life. And here would have been the difference. If instead of saying, hey, I should have taken leadership, he would have said, God broke my heart because I, pro- I said profane things against you and I looked at pornography and I hurt you. And God just crushed me over this. And I just wonder if you would forgive me. I'll do anything I need to do to gain your forgiveness. She would have said, you're forgiven. And there would not have been shipwreck. But the shipwreck now is going to go down through the generations serving people. Because one man was too proud to just say, he sinned. How powerful is it when we just do the simple thing that Jesus said? Some of you, I know you're nice Christian people. I was looking at you and thinking about what I was going to say to you while you were singing, and I was feeling, praying for God to give me. You know, I love you, and I like you. I don't, want you to, I don't want you to think I'm trying to hurt you. But many of us would consider ourselves seasoned Christians. Is that a nice way of saying you're old? Uh, you're, you, you've been, you know, we've, been, we've known the Lord for a while. We've been around for a while. This is stuff that we should have had put together. And then we're all, you know, we're all going, why is it that young people don't, why is it young people don't follow the Lord? Why are young people leaving the church? Why are young people call us hypocrites? Why young, uh, what if maybe they just needed to see more Jesus-like confession in us? Maybe, I'm not trying to make it heavier than it should be, but I mean, if it's true, if it fits where, it right? I, I was in a church, and in the church was an elderly man that was highly regarded can you tell what's happening? I'm closing my Bible. This is like, we're going to pull over and stop and pick up here next week. So there you go. Take it easy. We're going to be done here in a second. So this, so this, uh, this older guy in the church, he was highly regarded. Very highly regarded. He'd been saved a long time. He knew his Bible backwards and forwards. And I, don't, I doubt he went out and got drunk all the time. Don't think he was immoral, but he still found ways to hurt people. And I happen to be one of them. As a matter of fact, he said something very hurtful to me, like it didn't even matter. I was a young guy, and it just seemed like didn't, he didn't care what he said. He was just an older guy, and he just said what he said, said it in front of other people, and I was kind of wounded, and like, wow. I remember going to my study, and if, a number of days later, I was sitting at my desk, and I was just thinking. I was thinking kind of irritated, to be honest. I'm not saying this is right. I'm just telling you the sinful thoughts I was having. I was like, you know, that guy's been saved long enough. He should know better. He's got the big chunks of the Bible memorized. People think a lot of him. And yet he can just go around saying whatever he wants to say to the pastor and get away with it. It just isn't right. And I was having those dark thoughts, and my phone buzzed. 
And the secretary said, hey, so-and-so's on the line, and it was him. She says, you got time to talk to him? I'm like, I'm kind of afraid to talk to him. He's me, you know. I'm like, yes, I'm the pastor. I have to talk to everybody. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, put him through. He has a gruff voice. That's very fun. Yeah. Having my devotions this morning? He says, reading the daily bread? Holy Spirit hit me between the eyes with a two before. I thought I should call you and let you know that I had no right to say what I said. Are we good? <laughs> I'm like, we're good. We're good. <laughs> and I'm good. My heart was good. Like, thank you, Lord. That guy is a believer. He's kind of a weird, crass believer, but he's my brother. He's a good man. He's with the Lord right now. I'm going to see him someday. I'm so glad the Lord hit him between his eyes with the two before. I rather enjoyed that. I hope he hits you today. <laughs> In his gentle and sweet way. Now what we're going to do next week is we're going, to, we're going to take this to the family and to the relationships. And we're going to show you the power of this in relationships. But can we just begin right now by, by saying, yes, we're, 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 we're God's people. We're Jesus-following people. We're, we are going to humble ourselves, tremble at his word. Would, can I ask you this? Would you be willing to say, I'm going to have a time of self-examination this week, me and the Lord alone, I'm going to look over my life. I'm going to be honest about my sin. I'm going to prepare myself to be right and have a clear conscience before God and man. This is the picture I have in my heart, and I've had it in my heart for the church. Imagine a couple, middle-aged couple, older couple, and their marriage is, well, faithful, you know. And they've figured out a way to live together, but there's hurt there, and there's, hard, there's hardness there, and there's harm there, and there's distance there. And I'm, I'm imagining that he says, you know, why don't we go to that little place where we can go and sit outside like we used to? And he takes her there, and they eat, and then when they're done eating, he looks across the table, and he says, honey, I haven't been treating you right. God, show me I have not been treating you right. I've kind of gotten used to having you. I haven't been gentle and tender and kind. I haven't shown you honor and love. I just feel like I need to ask you if you'd forgive me. And I imagine that she kind of snorts and says, well, I don't know about that. You know, we've been here before many, many times. And I don't see that you're going to change. And he goes, I understand. But I just want you to know God told me that. And after a while, you know, the knot loosens up a little bit and things kind of move in the right direction. Or I like to imagine a dad takes his family and they go camping and they just have the great, they have the greatest time. And they get all worn out from playing and running and they're sleeping in a tent at night. But before they go and get in the tent, dad has a fire and they have the s'mores and then after that's over, he says to the kids and to mom, he says, you know, let me tell you why we're doing this camp out. Because I went off to a meeting and I realized that I've been doing some things, especially to your mom, that really aren't kind and they're not right. And some of you kids, I've been 
angry at you and why I shouldn't have been. I said things I shouldn't have said. And I want you to know that things are going to change and I'm going to ask forgiveness, you know, before the sun goes down. And I want to ask you guys to forgive me for the way I treated your mom and for the way I treated you. And then everybody's kind of quiet and they go in, they get in the tent and they lay there in the tent and you hear the crickets outside the water running over rocks crackling in the fire and a little girl weeping she's just crying and mama says sweetie what's wrong and she says mommy I'm sorry the way I talked to you and she says sweetie I forgive you and God comes down the blessing of the Lord the favor of the Lord the sweetness of the Lord comes on that family now that's what we want Amen. pray with me Heavenly Father, we come before you now honestly confessing that we are sinners and that we need you so much. And without you, we'd be so lost and broken. And Lord, we want to be genuine in our following you, faithful in our Christianity. And I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves before you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
might want to come and have somebody pray with you today. If you don't know the Lord, we'd love to introduce you to him. Uh, you might, might have somebody praying with you. Here's the thing that has been in my heart all week, and I hope this is pastoral thing. It's something I, I know it's been, I've experienced this myself. We're moving some stuff this week, and um, there's some helper from the church come over and move this stuff, and they got a hold of this chest, uh, and they were moving this chest. It was a, first it was a toy chest, and then the kids outgrew toys, and it became a blanket chest, and it was sitting down at the foot of our bed, and when the guys were moving that, or the girls were moving that, I looked at that, and I remembered our son, Wesley, our youngest son, when he was a little boy, kneeling by that and just crying. He had done something mean to his brother. He's a pretty nice kid, didn't do mean things very often, but he'd done something to his brother that I felt like he needed to be convicted about, and I wasn't sure he was. I was going to spank him, but I didn't want to spank him before he knew how guilty he was. And so I was trying to appeal to his conscience and explain to him how he hurt his brother, and, and so we were kneeling by that box, and all of a sudden his little heart broke, and he just started to cry, and I went, yes, in my heart, yes, yes. He's guilty, <laughs> and he knows he's guilty. Yes, this is something he needs. You're guilty too. Do you know it? Are you broken? This is so powerful. So my prayer is that there'd be a place like that chest for you this week. Cab of your truck, there by your sink, out on the front porch. Just say, oh Lord, God, no sin is worth breaking my relationship, my fellowship with you. No sin is worth breaking up my relationship between me and the people I love. Let's, let me pray a blessing on you to send you your way. Father, we thank you that we could be in your house today singing your praises, being with God's people. And we know that back through the centuries of time, as long as there have been people of God, there has been a place to walk in the cool of the day to confess your sin before God and to be forgiven or a tabernacle or a temple or a place at the foot of the cross or the church, or the cab of the truck, or the front porch, or by the bed. Help us to be penitent, repenters, sinners that are broken before you, and receive your mercy, and help us to walk with one another in the same way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless.